for a minute, huh? Woo! Man, I tell you what, just the mention of his name, do you believe it? I want to dance. I was telling him last night, I want to dance to that song, but I can't dance. I don't know how to dance. I try to dance, and it looks silly, and my wife says, Rob, you can't do that. Um, like at weddings and stuff, you know? And uh, um, so one day in heaven, I'm going to dance. I'm telling you, I'm going to get a little more color in me, and I'm going to dance. And, and I am 100% Scandinavian, and I don't know why God did it that way, but I got nothing. You're giving me a thumbs up. You got nothing too, right? I was... No joke, when I'm clapping, I have to spit out my gum. Because I can't, I can't stay on rhythm. So I'm back there like, man, nobody can see me right now, right? Like, I'm like trying to dance, you know, and I'm like, Jesus. Just the mention of his name. So listen, this is a safe place. If you want to dance and look foolish, do it for Jesus. Amen? No judgment zone from me. So, man, I tell you what, God is good. And, you know, some of you are probably still in mourning from the game last night. But Jesus is still good. A bunch of guys carrying a dead pig across the goal line never changed my life. No, I'm serious. I love the game. You can learn some things from it, certainly. But nothing like Jesus. Amen. I'm telling you what, no matter what's going on in your life, whether you're depressed about that or whether there's actual issues in your life, Jesus can solve your problems. I need, I need more than three people to give me an amen on that one. Like, no, like, listen, let me say it again. Jesus is the answer to the problems in your life. Amen. Amen. And I just felt like driving in this morning like, like somebody is in this place who, um, who feels like maybe that isn't true. Maybe you're just still kind of just going through the motions and you haven't completely surrendered your life to Jesus. You haven't surrendered your situation to Jesus. And I'm telling you, as long as you try to hang on to it and you try to solve it, it's not going to get better. But it's amazing the minute, can anybody testify in this place, the minute that you surrender to Jesus, all of a sudden, I'm telling you what, man, he takes over and things happen in your life that you never thought were possible. He gives you a fresh start, a new beginning. He gives you new hope. He gives you a, a purpose in your life. Amen? So I encourage you as we dive into his word today and as we spend time together, if you just surrender your life to him and watch him do all the work. Amen? Amen. Man, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm so excited. I, I've got anticipation for what God's going to do here. If you're new in this place, uh, you are welcome here. If you're visiting, we're glad you're here. Um, I remember the first time we came in here. Uh, I'd known Pastor Jesse. We've been friends for years and years. But uh, um, when we walked, Mindy and I walked in here to, to try church out here, we'd gone to a lot of churches um, and knew the Lord. And uh, we walked in here and we're like, man, it's, there's no way this is real. No, really. I just thought, like, did they pay people to do this? What, what's in the coffee? Uh, because there was so much joy. Like, we almost felt like we were, like, loved and wanted in this place just like that before anybody even knew who we were, right? So week one, we're like, okay, that, that was cool. Maybe it's just an anomaly. Week two, we walk in, and we're like, man, I think this is real. Like, I honestly, anybody else can attest to this, that when you come in the house, it's different, that it's not just a form of religion. It's not just people coming together to check a box off, but we're coming in this house knowing that God moves, and, and, and what, what's happened to our lives, and I know so many of you, that we've got people in here that now that are as close or closer than family. And that's what it should be, right? We love our family, but God's family. I'm going to spend eternity with you all, right? And you're going to see a transformation of this white guy dancing like crazy in heaven. Man, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. But if you're new in this place, I pray that you experience the same thing that, that all of us have experienced and that you call this place home. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. It doesn't matter if you don't even believe there's a God because he does believe that you're there and he'll show himself to you and he'll love you uh, regardless. And if you submit your life to him, he'll change your life and you'll look back and say, isn't it amazing what God has done? Isn't it amazing? So you're welcome here. We love you so much. Um, it's an honor for me to be able to be up here. You know, every single week we get amazing, anointed preaching 
Uh, so I don't take this lightly when Pastor Jesse gives me an opportunity to stand up here and preach. Uh, they're really big shoes to fill. Um, and I want to do it to honor him, certainly, but I want to do it to honor the Lord and also to, to give you a word that I believe God has put in my heart. But um, the reason we have this atmosphere, number one, is Jesus, right? His word says if we lift him up, that he'll draw him into himself, right? His Holy Spirit is in this place, and that's we're a spirit-filled church. But it's also because of leadership. Leadership matters, right? And so I just want to just take a moment and just honor our leaders, Pastor Jesse and Lauren. Uh, so give it up for them just a minute. Let's don't ever just get comfortable with just take it for granted kind of thing. Like, it's just what it is. No, no, listen. Like, the Bible says to give honor where honor's due. So don't ever get complacent in giving honor. Amen? We're in this place because people obeyed God, and he's going to continue to bless this. And, uh, you know, if you haven't noticed, we're filling up. And uh, because of that, um, I've got an announcement for you. You ready for a big announcement? Okay, and some of you are like, why are we still standing? Well, here in a moment, I'm gonna read scripture and then we sit down, right, if you're new. And if your legs give out, then that's okay, just fall down, you know, um, it's fine. But the big announcement is this, on, on the first weekend in January, so it'd be the 6th and the 7th, the 6th is Saturday, the, the 7th is a Sunday, that first weekend in January, we're officially moving our Saturday night service to Sunday night. It's going to be Sunday at 5 p.m. So night church will be Sunday night. So it'll be 8.30, 10.30, 5 p.m. We're doing this for two reasons. The first one is we want to look after our volunteers. And at this stage, we think um, that this makes the most sense to help them Sabbath properly, to rest well um, on Saturday. And we believe that's really important to give people a, a full day to, to Sabbath, right? Um, especially with our growth and the higher demands that the growth brings. Secondly, we've been chatting with a lot of people, and it appears that switching to Sunday night will actually allow more people. Everybody say more people. More people to come to night church. If people are away on the weekend, they can still catch church in person, and those who cannot attend Saturday nights are most likely the same who cannot attend Sunday morning. So this move should, again, help position us for growth, while we await the big move to a much larger facility. So, I know I'm preaching the choir, but around here we're about reaching people for Jesus, and that means that we have to be flexible and stay scrappy, right? So we're going to make this change. Inevitably, some people will show up on Saturday night, so maybe we'll be here and we'll pray for you and tell you to show up tomorrow night, you know. So um, it also may mean that, that Sunday mornings are look different. So um, you are the 8.30 folks. We love you. Um, continue to come to the 8.30. If you're visiting 8.30 and you're normally at 10.30, make this your service, right? Or Sunday evening, because if you think it's full right now, wait until 10.30, right? And so we're honestly, we're just trying to make room for everybody. It's a wonderful problem to have. Um, we're thankful for it. We know that God's moving, and this is only the beginning. I mean that. Don't ever take for granted what we have, okay? It's not perfect because people are involved. But it's the best place I've ever been. And I want to continue to ensure, all of us should want to continue to ensure that more and more and more people have the opportunity to come to know Jesus. Amen? And church is God's idea. He said, gather together and do this. And so we're going to pack them, stack them, do everything we can to get them in here until we get a new building. Amen? So if that means maybe some week you have to sit on metal chairs, can you suffer for Jesus? But no, it's, it's a little warm in here right now. The music was a little loud. Now listen, go to a third world country and go to church. I'm serious. How many of you have been there? Right? You're sitting there for how many hours and it's blazing hot. Right? And people love Jesus and they're going after it. So, anyway. So let's read our scripture. Genesis 25. If you didn't know, we're in a series uh, going through Genesis. We'll be done in about 14 years. Um, no, it is so much fun. Pastor did it a few weeks ago, Genesis 24. So, obviously, we're in, in, in 25 today. And, uh, and I'm going to, 
we're going to take a different angle on this a little bit, one that I hadn't seen previously when I was reading through this, and, and we're going to highlight uh, marriage and family in, uh, in this chunk of Scripture. So uh, read along with me in Genesis 25, verses 21 through 28. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening, happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body was like a hairy cloak. What a beautiful baby boy. You know how many people lie when you say that. That's a beautiful baby. No, they look like aliens most of the time. This one, certainly, I'd be like, wait a minute. He didn't cook long enough. Um, so they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out and his hand holding Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but... Rebecca loved Jacob. We've got some messed up stuff going on, and we're going to dive into that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. God, we just, we love being in your presence. We love being together. And God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do all that you intend to do today. We ask you to be in this place, to anoint this word, God, to open our ears, open our hearts, and, and God, help us to grow closer to you through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. High five your neighbor and take a seat. So like I said, the title of this message is Marriage and Family. And previously when I read through this, like, you know, I've read this several times, as many of you I'm sure have. Um, I really, I think I highlighted more on, like, why God would use uh, Jacob and, and kind of that, that story and, and, and all that kind of thing. And I, I don't know that it ever captured me the same way as, as I was preparing for it this week. As I read it, and uh, I knew we'd be in chapter 25, I just read it with, a, with an open heart and said, you know, Holy Spirit, like, guide me and lead me in what you want to say to us. And it really came down to marriage and family. Um, and you might say, well, I'm not married, and, or I don't have a family. Uh, biblical principles still apply in your life. Amen? And maybe you've been praying for a family. Maybe you've been praying for, for a husband or a wife. Or maybe you've been praying for kids. And, and I just want to tell you that as you keep your eyes on Jesus, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 37.4 talks about that a little bit. But I just want you to know that no matter where you're at in this whole journey of family or, or relationships or marriage, that, uh, that God's got a word for you today. Do you receive that? Amen. And uh, as is customary when I preach, the more amens, it takes off like three minutes every amen. Uh, it could be done in two minutes, depending on what goes on in this front row here. I don't really know. Um, but uh, no matter your situation, God's got a word for you today. Amen? And I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't first uh, mention my family, as we're talking about marriage and family. I've been married 27 years. I think we've got a picture of our wedding day up here. It's like right here. Boom. There it is. Yeah, everybody, aw. Yeah. I look a lot older, but she hasn't changed a bit. Um, and uh, I'm so thankful for Mindy Girl, like I said, 27 years. Um, and it's not lost on me that she is um, amazing, better than I deserve. She's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Um, and uh, she still takes my breath away. Uh, makes me better in every way. Uh, and I think I make her better too, right? I should, I hope. I definitely challenge her. <laughs> I make her life interesting. Uh, often I hear people say stuff like, oh, Mindy girl, you're, you're a saint. And, uh, and I realize that I, I am so blessed because I get away with a lot of things that a lot of guys don't. Like I'll just do things and say things and she just rolls with it. It's absolutely amazing, right? So I'm very, very thankful for her. God put us together, it's amazing. Um, and, uh, and then we've got some, some kids, so we've, We've got a picture of some kids here. The guy on the left, I'm not really sure who that is. Uh, anybody know who that is? Yeah, well, there he is. I don't know how he made it in this picture, but uh, 
Anyway, Miss, Miss Aaliyah, who's 14, she's our baby. Joshua's in the back, he's 23, uh, coaches down at Evangel University. Miss Emma's the best daughter-in-law you could ever find in the whole wide world. She works at, uh, um, up there in, in Springfield for Fire Bibles. Uh, Michaela's our oldest, 25, works here at the church. Both of our kids are getting their masters right now too. Super proud of them. They're serving Jesus, loving them. And then someday I might have a, a son-in-law, I'm not really sure. Um, but uh, I hear rumblings of things, but we'll just keep that between us, just you and I, okay? Um, I may be embarrassing. One of the greatest joys in life is embarrassing your children, right? Anyone, any, any, any kids in here, any young people attest to that? Are your parents embarrassing? Raise your hands. Are your parents embarrassing? Yes, 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 okay. How many of you adults in here are your parents embarrassing? More hands, yes, yes. Well, the apple usually doesn't fall far from the tree, right? So, but I need to say that family is a blessing, um, but it's also complicated, right? It's challenging. Raising kids is the most beautiful, rewarding, challenging thing that we've ever done. Um, But the reality is you only have them for a short period of time. And if you've got littles right now, it feels like forever, Right? It's like, could these little creatures please grow up and leave? And then they do. And you're like, man, that was quick. Right? You only have them for a short period of time. And, um, you know, and, and also just like life in general. I, I know I'm not that old and there's someone here older than me, and, and certainly you can attest to this. But when I was, I remember graduating high school and seeing people that were like in their 30s. And I'm like, they are so old. And I thought, they're so out of touch. Remember, like, my dad played music, and my dad would be like, I don't understand any of the words in that song. And now that's me. I don't understand the words to the songs. I don't, what happens to our ears, I don't know. Um, but now 30 doesn't seem old at all, right? As I'm approaching 50, I'm 49, and I'm starting to realize that more than half of my life is done, right? And so this thing about marriage and family, like, it's a more, becoming more about what I'm leaving, and I know I've got plenty of time, and I'm not giving up, and I'm going to, you know, I'm just serving Jesus and loving it and enjoying life and all those things, but we also have to be mindful that our lives are pretty short, and it becomes a little bit more about what you're leaving and the, and the legacy that you're, that you're creating, um, and, uh, and loss is real, and I just want to acknowledge in the middle of the holidays that this, maybe this is the first holiday that you lost somebody. Um, or maybe you're going through something that's really, really tough in your family right now, in your marriage or family, and, and the holidays are going to be rough. I just want you to know that, uh, that God can give you peace, right? He can give you healing through what you're going through right now. For some people, the holidays are the most joyful, wonderful time, and for others, they're the worst time of the year. And we recognize that. But I want you to know that you've got a place here, whatever you need. I mean that. And sometimes you hear churches say it or you hear people say it, and I just want to challenge you. Take us up on it. Call the church. Say something to somebody. The, God, the gotcha crew that's running around out there, they will, if they can't answer your question or help you, they will get you with somebody that can. The connection area out there, if you have any questions at all, whether you're new or you've been here forever, um, you go there and we will get you connected. We'll help somehow. We'll love on you because we are a family. Amen. And I just want to acknowledge, I know it is kind of hard, and as I talk about marriage and family, it could bring up some emotional things, whether from when you grew up or, or where you're currently at right now. And, and you know, if we go back to the beginning of chapter 25 in Genesis, I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but we're highlighting what we're highlighting. But if you go back to the very beginning, it's, it says Abraham died. And, you know, Abraham was the father of the faith, and, and he was the one that the covenant started through. But he dies never seeing the things that he set out to do. Isn't that interesting? Like God gave this, this, this vision to him, this purpose, this plan, but he died never seeing it. It was up to his family to carry on what God had started in him. And maybe, maybe your vision has died, and, and maybe your life has turned out not the way you thought it would, but I promise you this, that if you keep your eyes on him, whether it's fulfilled through your life or he uses you to influence other people, even if it's not family, other people, he will do what he said he would do through your life. Amen? 
I think there's going to be things when we get to heaven that God's going to say, oh, you, you thought that was a failure? Or, or you thought, God, you didn't actually fulfill that? And he's going to show you how that flowed through your life and how you had impact in that. Amen? I truly believe, too, there will be people that come up to you that you've never met that are going to say thank you because you gave, you tithed, you gave to missions, you did whatever, you prayed for them, and you never, you never met them here, and they're going to say, hey, thank you so much. That made a difference in my life. And we'll say, nah, it's all about Jesus. But I want, I, want to, I want to go with the first point is this. Every ending gives way to a new beginning. Let me say it again. Every ending, whatever's going on in your life, man, if there's been loss, if there's been something that's happened that just you lost the vision, um, every ending gives way to a new beginning. In the case of Abraham, when he died at 175 years old, he was buried with his wife, but his life is over, but the promise is still alive through his son. So what died with Abraham began through his son Isaac. It's true that he was confused, but God had a plan. And I know that God has a plan in each one of us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're in the center of God's plan? You know, Abraham was a great model of faith and obedience and perseverance, but he also had some imperfections. Remember how many times he said that his wife was his sister? Yeah, so I think it's important to remember that just because there were some issues that God still used him. You know, some of you need to hear it this morning that just because you're not perfect yet, just because you still struggle, just because you might have some slip-ups, don't, I'm not excusing sin in any way, but don't let the things you struggle with disqualify you from being used by God. Amen? That Abraham kept getting back up and, and it was accounted to him by faith because he had faith that he just kept believing that God's gonna use me, God's gonna use me, God's gonna use me. He died and didn't see it, but he still had faith. God's gonna use me, God's gonna use me. Then it became God's gonna use my family. God's gonna do it through my family. God's gonna do it this way. So I just wanna encourage you, even if you failed, get back up. So in Genesis 25.1, let's get back to that. Some of you are wondering, man, are you gonna get back to this or not? Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. If you're not careful when you read that, you think maybe they struggled to have a baby for a couple months. But it was 20 years. Has God ever put something on your heart? Like, you understand, in this case, the, the, the promise, the covenant, it was only possible through the family, right? But if... If they didn't have a child, it stopped, it was done. The promise was over. How many times in 20 years do you think they sat there and thought, I don't understand what's going on? God, I guess you're not using me. I guess what I thought you put in my heart isn't true. God, I, I guess I missed you. God, I guess maybe I did something wrong. God, I guess this, I guess that. But I, I wanna tell you this, that, that God isn't rushed. God isn't impatient. See, the not now doesn't mean never. Let me say it again. Sometimes when you're in the middle of these things, God says not now. But it doesn't mean never. Don't give up on the promise. You know, I remember when, when we first got married, we were trying to have a child. Um, and by the way, trying to have a child is a lot of fun. <laughs> Can the married people in the room say Amen. Hey, only the married people in the room. Because that's a thing from Jesus. He gave us, it's for married people. But I remember it was, it was a couple months we had tried. And even in that, even just a couple months, I remember being a little bit frustrated. Like, God, maybe we, we thought we were going to have children. Maybe we're not going to, you know. But 20 years, how many of you have had something that God put on your heart that hasn't happened yet? Yeah. Maybe this dream you have in here, that it just hasn't happened quite yet. And maybe, maybe it's been a long time. Maybe it's been years. Maybe it's been a while. I want you to know that, that in this case, just like God always does, not now doesn't mean never. You see, Isaac pleaded with the Lord, and God answered his prayer, but it, it was 20 years later. Tell your neighbor 20 years 20 years. See, isn't it interesting that Abraham's son, Isaac, dealt with the same thing his father did, a wife that was barren. 
And I, I just think that it is interesting that sometimes our kids have to deal with the same things we dealt with. Can I get an amen? Parents, leaders, try to make the path easy for your kids, for those that are following you. You had to deal with the same things. And, and you know, I don't want to get into generational curses and those things, but I know it's true that I want to make my life, I want to make the, the, the path behind me, the way I live my life, I want to make it easier for those that are following. Amen? I want to be an example for them. But don't make the mistake that just because time had passed that God wasn't going to do it. Don't make the mistake that just because it doesn't happen in your timing that that God's not going to do it. You know, a wise guy once told me, I was my pastor growing up, I knew I was called to ministry at a young age, and so I would talk to him about that, and I'm like, I, I, you know, when and when's it going to happen? I'm ready, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and he told me that God's more interested in making the man than the ministry. Otherwise, the ministry will ruin the man or the man will ruin the ministry. See, God's more interested in working on what's inside you. He's more interested in working on your heart. He's more interested on, on developing you. He's more interested on, on getting that right than he is on the actual, like, the ministry part of it, right? See, God will do that. He's not in a hurry. He understands how this all works, but he wants you to be more like him. But we are in a world today that everything is instant, right? Like, I want it instantly. Like, when I text somebody, you, don't you expect him to text you back? Like, don't tell me you didn't see that. I saw the bubbles on the bottom. You were thinking. You started typing, and then you stopped, and then you started. Like, text me back, right? Or you call somebody, and they don't answer. You put your, you put your popcorn in the microwave, and you want it done in how many minutes? Right? Like, right now. Like, we live in that kind of a world right now. But listen, God doesn't work that way. God's in the, in the business of developing you and building you and shaping us and making us more like him. And that often takes a lot of time. But I will submit to you this morning, it only takes as much time as you're willing to surrender. If you keep fighting it, it'll take longer. Like I said, I remember when I was young, I, I, was, I, I knew I was called to ministry, and so um, I didn't necessarily want to do it either, but I, I knew that God had called me to full-time vocational ministry. And, and uh, anyway, I was working a career and doing my thing and got married and we're having a family, and, uh, and we served in the church. We did youth ministry for over a dozen years, I served on the board, I'd preach when, when pastor asked me to preach. Um, I went back to school, I got my certification, my license, I was ordained, it was years, it was 12 years that I'm like, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm preparing and I know, God, I'm like, I know that you called me to do this, but I remember one day in particular driving along, I got kind of upset with him and I said, God, I don't understand. I know you called me to do this, I know that you asked me to do this, why are we playing games? And he said, do you trust me? And it was this moment of surrender. See, I think if I would have surrendered earlier, it would have happened sooner. You hear what I'm saying? If you feel like God has promised you something, put a promise in your heart, given you something, like, like these guys, you know, they, they knew they had to have a child and they prayed for 20 years. Just realize God's not in a hurry. That he will do what he said he will do but he is shaping you. God is patiently waiting for some of you to surrender your will to his timing. Can I say that again if you're taking notes? That's probably worthy of writing down. God is patiently waiting for some of you to surrender your will to his timing. The more you fight it, the longer it takes. The more you try to do it in your strength, the longer it takes. The more you resist, the longer it takes. Are you hearing me this morning? That what God's after is our full surrender. That's it. And you say, well, that's, that's not possible. How is that even possible? That's just how it works. Abraham waited 40, I'm sorry, 25 years to have a son. He was 75 years old when he was called and 100 when he had his boy. He tried some things. He tried to short-circuit that and tried to take shortcuts along the way. How'd that work out for him? Any of y'all ever try to convince God to take a shortcut? Yeah, I got that, God. I got that. It don't work. 
How about Moses? You know, Moses had this calling of God in his life. And as a young man, you know, you all know the story. And it was a miracle and all this stuff. He grows up in the palace. He had this heart for, the, the, for God's chosen people. And, uh, and one of the Egyptians um, one day was being abusive to one. So he killed that, that Egyptian. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But it was something God put in his heart to protect them. But it was too soon. And he reacted out of his own ambitions. So God said, that's cool. So now we're going to send you to the desert. And not just the desert, but the backside of the desert. I don't know where that is. But I know it's not where he thought he was going to be. I know that there were moments as he's out there, he gets married, he has his life, he's tending sheep, he's doing his thing. You know what, there were moments it popped up in the back of his head. Well, God, I thought you called me. Right? I, thought, I thought this was the plan. I, I, you put this in my heart to protect these people, but it, I don't understand what's going on. And the whole time I believe that God was saying, listen, all I'm waiting for is you to surrender. It took 40 years. And finally, after 40 years, I believe Moses was at the point where he finally said, well, he didn't. He argued with God still. But God could use him. But I believe that if Moses right away would have had that kind of humility, that God would have done it sooner. How about the Israelites in the desert? They didn't need to be there 40 years. But they kept running into themselves and trying to figure it out and grumbling. And let's just go back to Egypt. At least we're going to have a place to sleep and something to eat. Let's go be slaves? No, God's looking for surrender. And you know what? God is patiently waiting for some of you to surrender to his will. You want to get on with what God's got to do in your life? Then give it all up to him. Amen? Some things take longer than you think they should, and oftentimes, once God says, yes, it's time, then you're like, oh, hold up, God, I'm not ready. Isn't that funny? You know, Isaiah 55, 8 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little hard on you for a minute. You gonna love me after this? Well, we'll see. Get over it and trust him. Quit complaining and quit searching for solutions outside of him. All you're doing is ensuring that your waiting takes longer. Is that okay? Quit looking for solutions everywhere else and just run to him. Remember, not now doesn't mean never. Stay faithful. Let's jump back to our text here in Genesis 25. You know, it says Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And initially, right away, man, before they were even born, we see that there's a struggle going on in her womb. And then the very last part of it, verse 28, it says this. It says, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And when I read that this week, it just jumped off the page to me. Do you know how dysfunctional that is? Like seriously, like talk about some, some crazy stuff going on. We've got, we've got this, uh, this pregnancy that finally happens after 20 years and I, I, could just, I could just hear Rebecca coming home, honey, we're having twins, it's exciting. Oh, by the way, God showed me that um, they're already fighting. They're already fighting in the womb. Sibling rivalry is happening already. They're going to lead two nations. Yep, they're going to be different nations. Um, and the younger one, which is not customary at all, but the younger one's actually going to be in charge. Congratulations. Like, this is jacked up. And then she loves the one boy, and dad loves the other. I'm just, can I just say that unity in marriage is imperative? No, this is a message on marriage and family. Right? And somewhere along the lines, these two did not pick that up in the Spoonmore marriage class. <laughs> Can y'all do a refresher? Because I'm, I'm serious, from the very beginning, what we see here is a disunified family. Some conflict is normal. How many of you have kids? How many of you are alive? Okay, you ever have conflict? Some of that's normal, but this family takes it to a whole new level. Like, man, he's, Jacob's named because of this. Like, he grabs the heel of his brother, and like, from the womb, he's like, I'm gonna get you. 
Isn't that crazy? And you know, some of you are like, well, maybe, did God cause that? No, this was in his heart. This, is, this was a manipulative spirit. And what we're going to see here in a minute, which is heartbreaking, mom encouraged it. And I'm not picking on moms, okay? I'm not saying women are more manipulative than men. I've met both that are just as manipulative. But I'm just telling you what's in the Bible, okay? So as I go through this, because I'm, I'm about to get a little bit maybe spicy, just know I'm reading the Bible, okay? You know, the hard part in, in marriages as they come together, and, and what we see with these two is that you bring your own experiences into marriage, how you parented. You know, Isaac and Rebecca apparently did not talk about this before they had children. They didn't talk about how are we gonna raise the boys. If you're not married yet, I'm not joking here. You need to get some help before you get married. If you just wing it, it won't work. How many of you have, I'm not, no show of hands, but I know that was dangerous. I just about said it too. Maybe a marriage didn't work or maybe you're in one right now that isn't working because you're in disunity. To this day, we've been married 27 years. Three kids, you saw them. They're amazing, they're awesome. God has blessed us. But to this day, we have to work to make sure we don't have conflict about how we raise kids. If there's one area, like when we're alone, there's no conflict whatsoever. I'm not kidding you, we could spend every day, all day together for years, no conflict. It's awesome, life is good. You bring a kid in the mix? Anyone else relate? Like, what the heck? Like, I'm like, no, I think it's okay. What? No, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's what it, it comes down to, really, and even being at this age, it comes down to how you were raised, how you, how you process that. And, and uh, we have to be sure to talk about it privately, to have unity. The best thing you can do for your marriage and family is disagree in front of your kids and argue. That makes your kids feel like they're in a safe place. Yell at each other. Disagree openly in front of them. You know I'm teasing, right? But how many live like that? And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to help you in your marriage and in your family. We all want to learn from this jacked up example. Because these guys did not do it well. And it caused a ton of pain, a ton of hurt. God restores it and does some things. The brothers, as we'll see as we move forward in Genesis, the brothers have this moment where they come back together. But there was so much hurt and so much pain that could have been avoided. And Jacob was a manipulator, and he ended up getting manipulated in his life, big time. So I want to avoid any of that as you possibly can by learning from God's word. The best thing you can do for your kids is have unity in your marriage. You know, the boys learned different skills. It said here that, uh, that Esau, he was a hunter, right? And Jacob was a tent dweller. He was a homebody. I don't, uh, this is gonna be rough. I'm gonna spend a few minutes generalizing, and I realize that I may ruffle a few feathers, right? But, but Jacob was a tent dweller and should have been a bit more influenced by his father. It says that dad loved Esau because of the food he brought and, and the way he was wired, I think, and, you know, and, and, and he, was, he, was the, he was a man's man kind of guy, right? And, and, uh, and Jacob was a tent dweller, and it's okay that men cook. He, he loved to cook, and, and we'll see you as we wrap up here today that, that he, he actually used his gift of cooking to manipulate his brother. But Jacob was a, was a tent dweller, and he needed more manly influence. Men need healthy male role models. And I'm going to highlight men and boys for a minute. And I'm not, I'm not saying we can't, we could take, take another message and talk about young ladies and, and girls and women. We could do that. But this is the text we have today. So again, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, right? And there can be men that, that don't like to go out and kill things and, and build things with their hands or whatever. That's fine. That's not, that's not the definition of being manly, right? It's not. However, men and women are built different. 
And single moms, I see you, I honor you. Let's work together to help get godly men in your, in your boys' lives if you don't have that. Little boys need godly men in your life. We have men all over this place that are willing to help, to step in. I promise you, we've got a project coming up, actually a chivalry project. Heath, raise your hand right there. Yep, there he is, He's, he loves the attention. But it's a, it's a, 10, a 10 class, it's gonna take like a year, but it, there's 10 classes. We're gonna teach men and boys, young men, to be men of God. We've got a whole slew of guys that have signed up to teach different classes on different things. But we're doing that in an effort to try to combat what's going on in culture right now. Because you know, our culture tells us that we're not different. And we see it way back in Genesis 25 where if a boy is, is only influenced by his mother, it's not healthy. I was a sing my mom was a single mom. She had me in when she was in her teens. And for nine years or so, I was raised by a mom. But I'll tell you this, I'm so thankful that she had men in my life, my grandfather, my uncles, that would rough me up. Can anybody relate? Like you need men, you need guys to, 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 to wrestle with you, you need guys to show you a few things, you, you need guys to talk about guy things, right? Okay, it's getting quiet in here. <laughs> Our culture is trying to convince you that gender doesn't matter that we're all the same, that masculinity is old-fashioned, outdated, and toxic. This is honestly a lie from the pit of hell. God made man and woman, both amazing, but very different for different reasons. We are different, and we should embrace it. We are different, and we should embrace it. Men are biologically stronger. And I know there are examples where there's some women that are extremely strong. I'm generalizing. Men are biologically stronger. Men are designed to be protectors. Jacob should not have been a tent dweller. He should have got out of his mom's basement, got, got off Snapchat, TikTok, and gone and done something. No, like do something. Like like, go do something. And again, I'm not excluding women. Yes, do something. But again, this is about, the, the devil knows that if he can destroy the family, the family structure, right? That he takes down the family. So we're gonna hit some hard things every now and then that are biblical that don't feel good because culture says you shouldn't talk about this. Well, what about my little girl that wants to do that? Awesome. That's great. Let her do that. But what about your boy that needs to do it? Right? He's gotta have things to do like that. Challenge your boys to do hard things and watch them step up to the plate. I've got an example here, it actually popped up. It was just coincidentally, this uh, popped up on my Facebook feed a few days ago, and uh, it's gonna pop up right here, boom. Boom, it's Josh, stacking wood. Boom, my son. There he is, okay. Okay, so check this out. So. He's probably 11 years old right there. We live out at the farm. I had a trailer full of wood. I backed it up to the barn, and it was night. It was dark already, and I went inside, and I said, hey, buddy, there's a trailer full of wood out there in that, you know, right next to the barn. I need you to unload that and stack it. And Mindy goes, Rob, that's a lot of wood, separately. We went in the other room. She goes, Rob, that's a, that's a lot. And I said, yeah, it is. And she goes, are you gonna help him? I said, I'm not gonna help him a bit. Nope, I said, I went and cut it down. I filled the trailer. The boy's gonna stack it. And it wasn't because I didn't wanna work. It's because I know what it feels like to be given a task and the accomplishment that you feel when you're done. And I'll tell you, look at the smile on that dude's face. He, yeah. It was dark out already. He's probably 11. It's cold out, but he was sweating. I checked on him several times. It took him hours, because the stock trailer wasn't parked anywhere near where that wood is. <laughs> didn't give him a wheelbarrow. I didn't. And I just thought, let's see how he does. I don't care how he stacks it. I don't care where he stacks it. It doesn't matter. That wasn't the point. 
I checked on him several times. He was out there multiple hours. It was late to the point where I'm like getting impressed. No, really, Mindy's getting concerned. <laughs> and I remember popping out there, and I, I, that's, I saw him standing there. He was sweating, and I said, buddy, I am so proud of you. I sent him a text this morning and sent that picture, and I said, buddy, I'm proud of you that you worked hard when you were little and you still work hard today. And little boys need that. Guys, we've got to do better. Jacob didn't get that. He was a mama's boy. The reason depression and suicide is so high among men is that this world has stripped them of their original design. Men need a purpose. We need something to, to accomplish. Boys need their moms, of course. I think they need them a little more when they're little. And I think as you grow older, maybe you need dad's influence even a little more, right? Because I'll tell you, to this day, my wife doesn't know how to be a man. Praise God. And let's be honest for a moment, okay? Culture tells us we're all the same. How many of you women want a feminine man? How many of you men want a masculine, strong woman? Right? And the world, I don't care if you, if you know Jesus, believe in the Bible or not. The world, will, if they're honest, will tell you the same thing. Right? I don't believe there are women out there going, man, I just can't wait to get this really feminine man that if we get attacked, he, he runs and screams. Because <laughs> that makes me feel so secure. When we're laying in bed and a spider crawls on his leg, he screams and cries. Come on, people. Boys do need their mamas. But there comes a time when a boy gets to a certain age. Jacob didn't have this, and that's why we're on this topic. Jacob didn't have a dad that came in and said, listen, no. There comes a certain age in the teenage years when the boys begin to spread their wings. And they knock things over because they're trying to do their own thing. And it takes a dad or a man doesn't have to be the dad, a godly man to step up and set them straight. I, I'm going to say it, it's hard. But I remember we did it one time where my, my son, I believe it was because he was disrespectful to his mom, and his room was in the basement. And I heard this going on, and something wells up inside of you when someone is disrespectful to your wife, or it should. And at that point, he wasn't my son anymore, he was the enemy. Sort of kidding. And he was, he was a strong kid uh, at that point, very strong. And I went downstairs, and I, I opened his door, and I said, I heard what you said to her. And uh, I said, you're never going to talk to my wife like that ever again. And I took his phone, and I said, you want to see this thing fly? And some of you are going to think differently of me now. But I sent that thing across the the, the basement living room, and there's still a little dent in the wall, and I left it there on purpose. We laugh about it to this day. And I did one, because he was, when I was talking to him, the reason I did that, he's on this thing. And I'm like, okay, now you're, now you're just, you're setting me off, bro. Boom. And I stepped up in his face, and I said, um, if you ever talk to her like that again, I'm taking you out. I don't know what that meant. I don't know if I'm going to, like, <laughs> I don't know. We had this moment, though, where we looked eye to eye, and I thought, we might do this right now. <laughs> and, and you're going to be sorry. He was strong, but I'll tell you what. And you know what? I, I know this to be true because I'm a man, and I was a teenage boy. It's not the same when your mom gets in your face. Knock it off. I mean, there's some tough moms, and I'm telling you what. I wouldn't want to mess with some of y'all. You could take me. However, it's different when a dad does that or a godly man. And we all need that. We need that. You know, the story reminds me a little bit um, with Jacob. He dwelt in tents and did his thing and didn't have a lot of male influence in his life. And, and he was a manipulator and a mama's boy. And again, that's not disrespectful. Some, Josh is still a mama's boy. It's awesome. But he's a manly man. When he needs manly advice, he doesn't call his mom. Amen? 
but the story reminds me a little bit of King David. And you know, he was a manly man, right? He killed Goliath and all this, a man of God, a man of great character. And he had fought many battles and all this stuff. But, but there was one time in particular when all the men went to war and David stayed home. David didn't go where he should have gone. Men go to war. Can I say that again? Like, men go to war. Men do hard things. Men, men put themselves at risk. Men should do those things. But he didn't go where he should have gone. He didn't fight the battle. And sometimes your war is on your knees in your living room in front of your couch. For your family. Like, men do hard things, right? He didn't. He stayed home, and that's when he saw a pretty girl bathing. We all know the story. He took advantage of the situation, slept with her, had a child, got her pregnant. To cover it up, kills her husband, who was a man of integrity. It all happened because he stayed home when he should have been doing man things. And I don't know about y'all, but sometimes if I'm going to have a struggle, if, I, if I'm going to get off track at all, it's when I've got too much spare time. So this whole narrative and calls right now, well, just, just chill. Just, you, need, you need you time. Listen, I honestly think that's a lie from the pit of hell too. You need Sabbath, but you don't need time to just sit around and just not do manly things. Get a task, get a project, do something. Disciple somebody, do something productive. How many of you can attest, men? You don't have to say what it is, but when you have nothing but idle time, it's not good. Come on, right? So learn from these things. Let's learn from Scripture. The best example is a mom and dad working together to raise the kids, not against each other or playing favorites like we see in Genesis 25. Don't play favorites for God's sake. Don't undermine the other parent. You know, and every kid wants to be the favorite, right? Like Aaliyah stole my phone the other day and she changed her contact info. It says, Aaliyah, favorite child. <laughs> and that's fun. But it's also very damaging if it was true. So shame on you if you have a favorite. You may relate in different ways. Like every one of my kids, I have, they're my favorite for a certain thing. Right? But in this case, Scripture, I'm like, these, these guys legitimately, Scripture says that I love this one, you love that one. Not good. Life is hard. And it's a hard reality, but we need men that know how to do hard things. Mom, to let godly men influence the boys. Moms, let them do it. Don't step in and try to protect your boys. Now, if there's abuse, absolutely. That's not what I'm saying. But it looks different. Can anybody attest? And again, we have guys in this church that will help. We have guys that will step up. Had a single mom last night say, man, I need help. I've got boys, I need help. And I said, well, you're, we've got you. We've got you. Speaking of that, we've got a group of godly men that meet every Thursday morning in this place. And I'm so crazy impressed with the movement that's happening right now. I don't know that I've seen it anywhere else where every single week you get 60 to 70 guys at 6.30 on a Thursday morning show up at church. Weekend and week out. And I just tell, I'm telling you, mark my words, when God gets a hold of the men and the men begin to lead like that and love their families. And when I say love their families, it's not like you get rough and tough all the time. Jesus was a manly man. Jesus was sensitive, caring, thoughtful, but he also was willing to walk in the temple, flip some tables and whip some dudes. I'm serious. That's your precious little Jesus on Christmas morning. Scripture says the night before, he went up on the hillside and made the whip. This was not an emotional reaction to the moment. This was a thoughtful, okay, I saw what you're doing in my father's house. If y'all are there in the morning, I'm taking you out. That's what we need, and that's what we've got. And I know that some guys can't make it on Thursday mornings because of work and whatever else, but if you're sleeping in on Thursday mornings, you're missing out. There's a movement happening, and God is doing things. Prayers are answered. There are miracles happening every single week. I'm not kidding. I'm not being dramatic. Every single week, God speaks to people, and miracles happen. Everybody still okay? Okay, how much time do I have? I have two minutes and 23 seconds. That is not right. 
Pastor Jesse was right when he said they do that to the clock. It's never his fault when he's late. But I've just got one more text, the end of, the end of Genesis 25, 29 through 34. It says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name is called Edom. Jacob said, sell me, this is, this is nuts. Dude's exhausted from doing good things, providing food for the family. Jacob, the manipulator, says, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die, bro. Of what use is a birthright to me? And if I'm gonna sell my birthright, it's gonna be for a sirloin, not, a, not, not some lentil soup. By the way, it's a bad idea to ever sell your birthright. Jacob said, I swear to you now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And Esau despised his birthright. What a crazy dynamic. Good thing families today don't ever fight over possessions and things. You know, we're really no different. How many times have you heard about a family going through the loss of someone and you get in the inheritance part of it and families get destroyed? You know, we've made a commitment in our family. We've had people that have passed and there's been inheritance involved or whatever. And we've said to all the family involved, it's not about stuff. We're never gonna break relationship for stuff, right? Oh, it's hard. It's easy to say. It's hard to do when you're in the middle of it. Amen? I'm thankful we haven't been in a muddy situation at all. But you cannot make this up, man. Here you have it in the Bible. God ends up using this guy. It's, it's crazy. But Esau immediately regretted the situation. And it brings me to my last point. Be careful of making decisions when you're worn out and tired. Esau wasn't in sin. Esau had worked hard. He'd come home, he was tired. He was obviously hungry. But every time you make a decision when you're worn out and tired, most of the time when you make a decision when you're worn out and tired, you regret it later. Because you're not thinking straight. You know, Jacob had a tendency to manipulate because I believe he was born with some of it. Mom encouraged it. But he took advantage of his own brother in the safety and security of their home. Esau was working hard, providing for the family, worn out. He had a good day at work, but he was exhausted. And how many of you know when you come home from a long day, and it's not just men either, this, this goes both ways, but when you come home from a long day's work or a, a hard task or whatever, the last thing you need to walk into is conflict. Can I give somebody a word of advice? Whatever is on your plate, whatever needs to be solved immediately when you get home can wait a few minutes. Esau really wouldn't have died, I don't think, if he'd have just waited 15 minutes to make a sound decision. If maybe he'd have walked in the door and turned around and walked back out and went, you know what, I'm really hungry. And that smells really, really good. But man, I don't know if it's gonna be a wise idea to give up my birthright just because I'm hungry for a moment, right? But shame on Jacob for taking advantage of the situation, capitalizing on the manipulation of somebody being weak. How many of you have made a decision when you're tired and worn out that you regret later? Amen? Like how many, how many people going through a rough time in their marriage, just a tired season in, in, in there, and all of a sudden somebody comes along and, and, uh, and they're really nice, and you make a decision out of weakness. You make a decision out of being tired, and you have an affair. And immediately, immediately, you regret it. You look at, look at something online. Maybe, you know, there just hasn't been the intimacy and you're worn out and you're tired and all these things and, and the intimacy is not there. So I'm just gonna fill that cup a little bit with something else. That's still sin. And you look at something. Are you glad that you did it 15 minutes after you did that? Of course not. You regret it instantly because it doesn't satisfy. It's not right. Sometimes it's, you know, 
buying things. Sometimes the satisfaction of just like, I don't, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I need, a, I need something to kind of lift me up, and you jump on Amazon. Amazon is from hell, but I'm teasing, I'm joking. Some days it is, though. Like, I'm, I swear, every day they're at my house. Most of it's my fault. But sometimes people, when they're worn out and tired, they, they, they buy something to try to just feel better. And then you have buyer's remorse immediately thereafter, right? Maybe you had victory in um, breaking addiction. And, but in a moment of weakness, and moment of being tired, and all these things. And you know the enemy knows how to throw the bait out too when you're tired, right? You ever notice that? You're tired, you're exhausted, you're worn out, you're, you're defeated. And, and you've had victory in, in maybe say the area of alcohol for months or years. But in a moment of weakness, in a moment of tiredness, you get tempted and you're in what should be a safe place, but somebody tempts you and boom, you, you take it. And immediately you regret it, right? Immediately, and that's what happened with Esau. He's like immediately he regretted this. You know, both men and women should have a place to come home to that's free of manipulation. Now, I agree that we should be ready to serve our families, and there's often days where I pull in the driveway and I have to just pause for five minutes. And I say, okay, now it's, now it's husband family time, right? I don't want to bring in from the day or if I'm tired or worn out or whatever the situation is. And I get that. We should step in that door and give our family our very, very best. But the last thing that should happen is when we get in there, there's manipulation and conflict and fighting. And family is complicated. Marriage is complicated. But we gotta do better than they did. We should keep unity, right? We should support one another. We should be patient with one another. We should respect each other's roles in this thing. And for goodness sakes, all the problems in the world don't need to be solved the minute you walk in the door. Nobody raise your hand. Nobody, but there are moments, and men and women are different. There are moments when the ladies just want to talk. They don't want an answer. For the life of me, I don't understand this. I, I don't. I've understood about this much of it in 27 years. It seems like we're wasting energy, productivity, oxygen. Why talk about this if I can't give you the solution? Two minutes in, I know what to do. And then it helps if you cut her off and tell her, oh, I know what you're gonna say, here's what you should do. That is a great thing never to do. But can I just be real? You want a healthy marriage, sometimes it's give and take. Guys, sometimes you gotta listen and listen and listen and not give an answer or a solution. And ladies, sometimes you gotta understand, our listening capacity is limited. I was with an unnamed woman a few days ago and we're driving along and it was late in the day and they're talking about a lot of things and there was emotion involved. And I just simply said, I am so sorry, but my emotional tank is empty. I can't even help you with anything right now. Like I can't even really listen to any more talk. Anybody ever been there? Again, do not raise your hands. But we're different, and different is okay. Amen. So let's stand up. I need to just wrap this up. I'll say this again, though. Be careful of making decisions when you're worn out and tired. I want to pray for marriages and families right now. And then Pastor Laura is going to come and wrap us up for anybody that wants to give their life to Jesus because I'm telling you, you got to give your life to Jesus if you don't know him. But I want you to come forward to this altar as a sign of surrender, a sign of um, need, a sign of desire for whatever it is that's on your heart that God wants to do in your marriage and family. I don't know what it's going to be. No one's going to assume that your marriage is horrible or that your kids are a wreck. Or Maybe it's that you don't have a family and you want one. Maybe it's that you've been praying for this, praying for that. I don't know, whatever it is. But I just, I just felt like the Lord said, listen, I want, to, I want to know if you want it. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. 
But there's this attitude, not just in the heart, there's this attitude of coming to him. And, and so I just wanna open the altars right now. Come on up here, I wanna pray for you before we close. If you say, man, I, I need, God, I need your help in my marriage or in my family, or God, I want, I want you to, to do something. And I believe that God is going to bring healing. I believe God's gonna bring restoration. Um, maybe you've been through some really bad stuff, and I believe God's gonna, gonna heal that. You know, the only way he can. The foundation of what God's building is built on family. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much, God, for your word. God, thank you for the instruction that it gives. And God, I pray for these folks that, by a step of faith, walked up to the altar today and said, God, I need something from you. God, I pray there as if the guy that was sitting by the edge of the road and you were walking by and they, he yelled out, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That God, it stopped you in your tracks and you turned and, and went to him and said, what do you need? And he said, I wanna see. And you healed his sight. But in large part, it was because he cried out to you knowing that you were the answer to the problem. And God, we just acknowledge this morning that you are the answer to the problem, that you are the healer, you are the great physician, you are the mighty counselor. And so God, I pray for wisdom and direction and healing in these lives in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.